let's just start. Great. Welcome. This is our first podcast. We're good. Gonna, we're going to see how it goes. It's good to be here. Yeah. We'll see if this works well for us. I'm Zach. I'm Scott. So now you know what our voices sound like. And uh, we are sitting here on a Thursday afternoon thinking about uh, this global pandemic. And uh, we were talking about how it affects college students who will be going on spring break and then returning back to their parents' homes. So for all you parents out there, you better get all of your stuff out of your kid's room that you moved in and get ready for them to come home. It's kind of crazy how fast it happened. Yeah, and I wonder if anyone will end up back on campus at the end of the semester. I know I met with a student uh, yesterday at UW-Madison, and he was like, I'm leaving campus on Friday, and I may not step foot back on campus until September. And I was like, that's a crazy thought, but it is true. Yeah, I guess you got to pack up all your stuff. So uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk with Scott about today was what is this going to be like for kids when they go home? Especially for kids who may have some executive functioning struggles. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I think the biggest, one of the biggest uh, benefits of the, I'm going to do air quotes and call it the typical class schedule, is kids are forced to be somewhere and do something. And so that's going to be one of the biggest challenges. Now, a lot of universities don't even know how they're going virtual, whether it's going to be live lectures or uploaded videos. So some classes will still be Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 9 a.m. if they go to like live lectures. Yes. Now, I think most universities are going to end up with some version of a hybrid because I don't know how you would maintain the same schedule. I don't know. Um, but I, that right there is going to be the biggest challenge is the classes are going from it's a mandatory place you have to be. You have to walk across campus. You have to, you know, get your jacket, pack your backpack, all that. to Wake up. Wake up to... Now it is 100% on demand, possibly, where kids are, it's all on them to uh, make sure that they're even watching these videos, which, let's be honest, it's a lot tougher than walking to class with like a friend. It's a lot tougher to just sit in your sweatpants in the basement of your parents' house and watch hours of classes each day. So for the kid who struggled to transition from being in school, high school six or seven hours a day, to college where they were in school for three hours a day, to parents' basement where classes are just whenever, just get it done, uh, that's gonna be challenging. Yes. Now, with the students I've been, we'll touch on a lot of things, I think, over the next 10 to 15 minutes or however long we go, but of the students I've been talking to, like one of the main things we've been focusing on is just the structure of their schedule. And it literally starts with the start of the day of my sleep patterns. Because when you don't have to be somewhere at 9 or 10 or 11 or whatever time the first class is, it's kind of hard to set your alarm and get moving and make sure that things are moving in the way that they were when you were on campus. So what, you think parents should like get back in the habit of waking up their kid in the morning? So I met with this, I'm going to keep referring to the student I met with yesterday because I talked to him 10 minutes after the news broke that UW-Madison called it. 
Um, and so he has 9 a.m. classes most days. And so we were talking about how important that is to his productivity and his stress of A, getting started, and B, not having it kind of eating away at him and causing stress and anxiety as he's going through the day with all these uh, sort of tasks and amount of time he has to do work just building up in his head and building up and building up. Because as I always say, the longer you don't do something, the longer you don't do something. And so he's just waiting, waiting, wait. And so for him, it's critical that he, um, he doesn't fall into weird sleeping patterns. He's actually getting up at a decent time. Now we said when we were talking and strategizing, we said, okay, it's not like you have to start the videos at 9 a.m., but I wouldn't wait till after 10 a.m. And so he is setting in his Google Calendar a set structure for himself of here are the times that I plan to watch my lectures. I think it's I think it's really important for all students. Now some students are going to be able to just do that on their own, but particularly these students who struggle with executive functions, like they're the ones who are going to have a hard time now. The the uh, weekly schedule has become much more abstract. So what about space? I know a lot of times you recommend kids find spaces that are consistent and comfortable for them for learning. If you're stuck in your parents' house, I guess some kids will be able to go to a library or go to a coffee shop if, if, if they can still move around. But if you're sort of stuck in your house, I imagine keeping a kid in his room or her room 12 hours a day is not going to be very productive. That is correct. <laughs> um, when we work with students on campus, I mean, it's the same issue. It's where can I find places that I designate as workplaces and how can I set up and manipulate that environment so that I can be productive and really so I can avoid distractions. I want to be able to get started and I want to be able to stay focused as I'm going. And so I actually think it's a bigger challenge at your parents' house than it is on campus. There's way more options on campus, particularly if people aren't going outside, which is very likely over at least the next couple of weeks. Um, and so, yes, yeah, students need to find, I would say find three places, three effective places that aren't laying in bed where, uh, where they're able to get work done. Now, what I think is even uh, to go a little further than just the, the space and the environment that students are setting up is... Um, in particular, the sort of computer environment that they have going on when they're watching their classes. Because that's what a. What does that mean? Well, so imagine you're at your desk. I've done this before, so maybe you can relate to this story. Imagine you're at your desk and you sign up for some webinar on a topic you're like half interested yeah, I in. I got one at four o'clock <laughs> on the changes to the ACT. Great, great. You're half interested in it. You like don't really want to sit through it but you you see the email and the subject title and you're like yeah this is this is pretty relevant i should i should sign up for this it's like it's going to be like that for these students um you know this student i was talking to yesterday was like econ is so boring in person just imagine how boring it's going to be sitting you know in a half-lit room in your parents house trying to get through an hour lecture and learn um and so it's really important to go through the steps of what is even my watching a lecture system or watching a class system. What are the things I have to do to make sure that I'm paying attention and getting something out of it and taking notes? Um, because, you know, it's how easy would it be to be watching your 
ACT rules of the ACT webinar, whatever you're watching, and just click open a tab, start responding to emails. Oh yeah, you I mean, know, I, I, I've been to some lectures on campus to just see what they're all about, and sometimes they're on topics I like, and the kids are ferociously typing, but they're not taking notes. They're they're just on on sending text messages back and forth to each other the whole time. Right. So, so even, if even worse when you're sitting by yourself. So, if we're talking about what are the main distractors when a kid's watching a lecture, what do you think they are? Their phone. Yeah, number one, yeah. of course, and computer, sure. number two, um, and so they won't have any basketball to watch though. So, right, right, right. Yeah, that's true. Although they can watch old highlights on Twitter, but. Um, so if you think about it, like some of the things I'm about to say are pretty basic. It's like, what would be the things I need to do when I know I need to focus in on a video on my computer? Um, number one, if it's, a, if it's a video that you have to download to watch, you don't need Wi-Fi. That's true. So turn the Wi-Fi off on your computer. Smart when you're watching your webinar later today, that's streamed. So streaming classes, you obviously can't do that. But I think a lot of these are going to be downloaded. Just turn your Wi-Fi off. It eliminates your computer. I mean, of course you can turn it on, but the key is to um, slow down that impulse, that impulse that opens a tab and hits the Y button and YouTube is up on your screen within a millisecond. It's to slow down those impulses so they don't happen. Um, and so turning off Wi-Fi is important. Um, obviously ditching the phone. So throw it in an, another room, put it in your backpack on the floor, whatever you have to do to, to get rid of it. Don't leave it in your pocket where it's gonna keep buzzing you. Don't put it on the table. Um, and then to have a specific goal that you want to get done when you're in that lecture. So usually that's going to be a learning objective. So something with, I want to take a specific way of notes or I want to have a quantity of notes or, um, you know, I want to make sure I answer the questions, the objectives that the teacher posts on the first slide. Just different um, goals that you can give yourself so that you're working towards something. Because if you don't have something you're working towards, it's going to be, it's going to be very hard to sit through an online lecture See, for an hour. You said these are super obvious. They, they are super obvious, and I would assume they apply to when you physically go to a lecture. But I imagine the difference in going physically to a lecture and being in your home is. There's some social norms in being in a lecture hall that you 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 don't just pull out your phone and start playing with it necessarily as if it's a smaller lecture because people will notice that you're doing it at home. No one's going to notice anything. Yeah, that's a good point that I normally don't think of. But yeah, no, you're right. When we're, I mean, the smaller the class, the stronger the social norms. Sure, yeah. But even in a lecture, like you're worried about. Even if you're watching, you know, I mean, I've worked with plenty of students who have watched Netflix in class. You still know the people behind you are paying attention and people are watching you. And so, yeah, you it's more likely that you're going to be productive because you're more likely to conform to those social norms in a group setting. So do you see any benefits to these videos? Like there are some kids who don't learn things on the first try. Like now they can watch it over and over again where maybe that wasn't the case before. Yeah, I mean, especially for students who struggle to take notes or they have processing speed issues or just pause the video. Yeah, or they I mean it, it's way easier to take notes on a video because yeah, pausing. So you can write a full thought um, or you can make a connection or you can you can add as much as you want to your notes. So there are huge benefits to it if you do it the right way. The challenge for the students with executive function is going to be that that attention piece.
So, but you can really master it and get way more out of the lecture. So I've got a bunch more questions for you. But one that I just thought of that may even apply if we weren't going all online. When kids go on spring break, I assume they lose a lot of the habits. They get out of the routines that they were in during the semester. And then they come back to school and the environment and their friends and the dorm and the classrooms, like all that gets you back into the into the groove a little bit, but you, you may have a week or so where you're a little rusty. The fact that they're canceling classes post spring break, they're basically saying, everybody go on spring break, take a week off, destroy all the habits that you had, and then while we figure out whatever system we're gonna come up with, and then we're gonna launch this system a week after you've destroyed all these habits and you're gonna have to create all new ones. This is gonna be hard for kids. It's gonna be really hard. and. I think an added challenge, and this is gonna, this is not a general statement. This is a house-to-house -house statement, but just the fact that they're, I mean, when you're a college student, you're living on your own and you're a fully functioning adult. And so not only are they having their kind of weekly schedule and habits and agenda totally thrown a curveball, but now they're also doing it in a completely different environment and with different uh, relationship dynamics. Um, because one of the things that I see college students benefit from significantly is the, the uh, social dynamics and just the standard that students hold and the expectations that students have. Like if I focus on UW-Madison, it's full of really, really good students who work really hard. And so it's removing that dynamic too, which sure. all of this together, that what you're asking about, all of that working together, it makes it much tougher for students. You throw in the parents, parents can fall back into their old habits, the old high school habits of monitoring and checking and worrying because now they can see it. It's right in front of them. It's tangible. They're, maybe they want to peek in at grades. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, all, that, all those things together uh, certainly create a challenge and make it difficult. So... Um a lot of kids who on campus, I think, do you, do you see any benefits for kids on campus to study in groups? I, there's the two sides of it. One of one is like, it's great because everyone's sitting there studying. The other side of it is it's completely social and you're getting interrupted all the time because people are chit-chatting while they're doing it. Are study groups useful in a traditional sense? And then, then the next question to that is, can you recreate study groups virtually with your friends, your your fraternity brothers, your sorority sisters, is that a good thing, a good idea, a bad idea? Good idea. Study groups are a tremendous, they're the best. Like that is what you wanna do, particularly if you have self-awareness and you know I'm gonna have a hard time getting started or I'm gonna have a hard time getting going on preparing for this test four days in advance or five days in advance, nice and early, so you leave yourself plenty of time. So study groups are great, research shows that. Research shows that we're more productive when we're with other people not working in a group, but working individually within a group. Um, and so to recreate it virtually, yeah, there's no reason that college students can't do that. And, you or know, yeah, get that $19 a month Zoom membership and throw 10 kids on a, tell 10 kids to get into a room together, a virtual room. Yeah, even th four kids, three kids. And then they just kind of hang with each other, but work at the same time. Yeah, and you can check in every once in a while and, it works because you don't want to, you know, you could lie to all your friends, but really you don't want to be the person who's not getting stuff done. Right. There's that social pressure again. Social pressure is a good thing mm -hmm. when it comes to academics, certainly. 
And if there's anyone who's going to benefit from this whole college closure, it's definitely Zoom. Yeah. They're going to yeah. benefit a lot. And from everything closing. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, we talked a little bit about academics. What What about, it? you know, professors have, like, office hours, and kids will just show up to the office hours. You know, I know a lot of kids that I work with, they're not the type of kid to reach out to the professor and say, hey, can I set up an appointment? But they may, if I encourage them, pop into an already open time. How can we help our kids seek extra help, I guess? Right, like the self-advocate, that's gonna go away, right? Most of these kids who, wouldn't, who, who may show up but never actually email a professor, now they're not gonna get any help. Yeah, well, I mean, I would, the, the, the easy answer for me is the students I work with, the college students who are going home, we're gonna keep meeting virtually, and so uh, you can tell I can make them, yeah, <laughs> and I can watch them do it. Um, but if they don't do it, that certainly is important, and that has to go onto the list. So um, I think it is an important step for all students at this point, and I'm sure there's gonna be lots of information sent out at each university, but um, it's just a, uh, it's an important step to find the resources that are available and they're gonna have to make way more of an effort um, because those things aren't there they can't go walk for 10 minutes and find them and so um, it is an important step for students if I were to give parents advice I would say that's maybe the one place to insert yourself to say hey you know what can you make a list of possible resources you can use or have you found out how office hours are running um, or do you need to email any of your professors i'm a big fan of parents not putting themselves into the college students lives like that but i think as you bring that up um, a lot of students have anxiety about contacting professors or just don't feel comfortable with it so well you're going to need to because you're not going to be in the dorms or in your in your greek house with other kids who are taking the same class as you and who can answer questions you can you know, literally, these kids walk next door and ask, "What'd you get for this problem set? How did you do it?" Mm-hmm. Now there, there's nothing. Right. Yeah. So I, I do think there are going to be a lot of students who shy away from that. Of course, there's going to be students on the other side too, or maybe are now way more comfortable. Um, but I do think that's a good place for parents to to target. Is all right. My kid's home now. They're spending time around me. I should make sure that I'm asking them. Are they contacting professors? Do they have any office hours? What are the additional resources the campus is providing and have they checked them out yet? I think that's a really good reminder. I'm glad you brought that up. So we said we were trying to keep these to like 20 minutes. I think we're right at 20 minutes. Um, any other thoughts for today? I'm sure we'll have more and we'll just keep recording. It's just gonna, I mean, as in particular, as we're talking about this pandemic, um, I think it's officially called a pandemic now. It is. It's just a really fluid situation, and I think it's gonna it's it's a huge curveball, and I think it's gonna throw a lot of college students for a loop and a lot of parents of college students. And so, um, I think it's really important for students to uh, create a structure and make changes so that they're able to be productive at home. And if they need help doing that, then I think they should uh, get help from an academic coach or use campus resources. Yeah, you gotta go back to the, your, your resources that you may have had in high school too. Mm-hmm. Because if those helped, now you're back at home, you can use them again. This is gonna change quickly, so we might be recording tomorrow. That's true. <laughs> yeah, all right, well let's, let's wrap it for now so we can keep it to our 20 minute limit. 
and uh, we'll see what we record next. Sounds good. Maybe we won't even be in the same room next time. Yeah, it might be on Skype or Zoom. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks Thank for joining you. us. Thank you.